0: Hey, we're picking up right where we left off here in Luke chapter 7, and you know, as we get into it, the big idea today of the text is really the implication of what it means to be forgiven, how, how that affects and permeates every aspect of our lives. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul said this, he said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. How many new creations do we have here today? A new creation in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, right? You ever been to Harvest Crusade or Billy Graham Crusade? How many of you have ever been to one of those crusades? Have you seen it? You know the altar call? That's my favorite part, right? The gospel goes forth, and now what happens is you you have a response. People coming in response to the Lord drawing them, and they're laying down their burdens, and they're being rescued and redeemed, and and it's just a, a picture of rejoicing. And, and it just so incredible, and sometimes, man, we can we can forget, you know, who we used to be and what God has done in our lives, and 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 just what it means to have hope and renewal, and uh, and this is what we see here today. We get a, a beautiful picture of a gal who's tasted and seen that the Lord is good, having this hope and renewal. We'll jump right into it. Verse thirty six of chapter seven is where we're at in Luke. It says then one of the pharisees asked him Jesus uh to eat with him <clears throat> and and he went to the pharisee's house and he sat down to eat and behold a woman in the city who was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet, and she anointed them with fragrant oil. And now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. This guy's speaking now in his heart, just having this thought process. And he said, this man, if he were a prophet, he would know and uh, what manner of woman this is who's touching him. For she is a sinner. All four of the Gospels have a similar story that we read about where Jesus is at a, at a banquet kind of setting and where uh, uh, a gal there worshiping him and anointing him with oil just, just like this. And if if you didn't know better, you'd think that maybe they're all telling the same story. And actually, that's not the case. If you compare the details, uh, it becomes clear, and and universally every commentator will make this observation that as you examine all the details, there's really a couple of different, different times that this happened. And so, in Matthew's gospel, as well as in Mark and in John, they tell this this similar story, but in those accounts, the event takes place at the home of Simon the leper, not Simon the Pharisee. Um, As well, those other accounts are located in Bethany, whereas this account is located uh, near Galilee or in the Galilee region. And in those accounts, the person who's doing the anointing is Mary, the sister of uh, Martha and Lazarus. And in this account, we don't know who it is. The gal remains unnamed. Some speculate that it's Mary Magdalene who is anointing Jesus, uh, a notorious uh past history that she had. She was a prostitute. And by the way, this is phrased, it seems to indicate that this woman was a prostitute. It says that, you know, she, it tells us in verse 37, she was a sinner. And then, of course, this Pharisee makes this disgusted observation, she is a sinner. And of course, it's written in the verb form, which means kind of an active and an ongoing lifestyle of sin. And uh, most people kind of think, well, it, what's being insinuated here is that she is, in fact, a prostitute. And so, you see these similarities, but you also see these differences, you know? Uh, Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus in the accounts of, you know, Matthew and John and in Mark's gospel, but here, uh, a different gal, maybe Mary Magdalene, um, and the time of the anointing in the, in the accounts is different as well. Um, the, the, the accounts in the other Gospels are late in Jesus' ministry, whereas this one kind of happens early in his ministry. But there are several similarities. There's, you know, the hosts sharing the same name. You know, you've got Simon the leper uh, and you've got Simon the Pharisee as the respective hosts that are mentioned Um, And as well, similarities in that there's an alabaster jar of anointing oil, there is the anointing, the act of anointing that takes place, the setting happens in a dinner gathering. And if you didn't know better, you might go, well, gosh, did somebody make a mistake, did they confuse, did they jumble up the events, is this really one and the same event? But you know, you can explain the similarities fairly easily in the sense that these were all common things. You know, the washing and the anointing of guests actually was a common experience that happened at, um, at gatherings such as this. Uh, women carrying alabaster flax, flasks of, of, of anointing or perfume was actually fairly common. They used to wear necklaces and have this alabaster little vial that they would wear around their necks. And so that was a fairly common uh, thing. Both of the hosts having the name Simon... Uh, Simon is a very common name uh, during this time, and so, uh, you know, that as well, wow, that seems like a terrible coincidence, but, yeah, it, it just is that, it's just a coincidence, um, Uh, Charles Spurgeon was commenting on all of these things and he said this, he said, it ought not to astonish you that there were two persons whose intense affection thus displayed itself. The astonishment should rather be that there were not 200 who did so for the anointing of the feet of an honored friend, loved as Jesus deserved to be. The marvel is that he was not oftener visited with these generous tokens of human love. And so, you know, just a common thing. And so what we have here, Jesus, he accepts this invitation of this Pharisee to come to dinner. And again, this is a common thing for Jesus as well. He accepts a lot of invitations to go to various places to dine with various people. So we see in Mark chapter 2 that he's invited to the home of Levi the tax collector for a similar gathering like this. Here in Luke chapter 7, of course, he's invited to Simon the Pharisee's house. Uh, we see in Luke 19 that uh, he goes to Zacchaeus's house, this notorious tax collector. And you know, we saw last week... That Jesus accepting these kind of invitations and going, particularly when he goes to tax collectors and notorious people, you know, such as that, associating with sinners, like you know, here he's associating with this gal now who's coming and anointing him with oil and crying at his feet and all, that that Jesus was criticized for, for that kind of behavior. They called him, as he said last, uh, the week before last, if you were with us, they called him uh, a glutton. They called him a wino. They called him a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And of course, they, his detractors, they meant that phrase when they said, you're a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They meant it to vilify the Lord. They, they meant it as a derogatory term. And of course, we now, Christians 2,000 years later, the fact that Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners, this is something that we celebrate, isn't it? It's something that, that is a badge of honor. It's something that is, is, it's just glorious that Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Think about it. The one who created the universe, the one who spoke the earth into existence, the one who holds the very molecules of your body together, our Lord, who gave himself for us, that he's our friend. He's a friend of tax collectors. He's a friend of sinners. It's a miraculous thing. It's a beautiful thing. Romans 5.8 tells us that, that God <coughs> demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Such an incredible, beautiful thing. And the implication of that, Paul says in Romans 5.11, is that now we, you and me, those who have been set free, those who have been forgiven by Christ, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Such an amazing thing. And it's a beautiful thing. And The thing is, is as we worship the Lord, this is the heart from which everything springs. This is the, this is that beautiful thing that we as Christians, we can never get too far away from. That the Lord God loves me with an unending love. And I've got a new relationship with God now based on what Jesus has done for me. And it's a freeing thing. And it's a celebratory thing. And what it should provoke within us is what we see here, this beautiful picture of this woman. Man, she gets it. She sees, I've been redeemed. Jesus will say in a little bit, yeah, her sins are many, but they've been cleansed. They've been wiped away. Have your sins been cleansed? Have they been wiped away? Do you have a clean slate with God? See, because in Christ Jesus... Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. And I wonder today if you've experienced that. I wonder today if you've received that. Because if you have, what you will see in your life is this manifestation of joy just coming to the realization of that. And you know, there's a couple of types of people, there, there are those that haven't received that, that don't know the joy and the freedom that's in Christ and, the, and the, just the outpouring of, of relief that comes. I don't know if you've ever experienced, you know, a kind of relief or, you know, a, a situation where you've been rescued, a situation where, where, where you've been redeemed. Pastor Kyle was telling a story a few weeks ago about how he, he was drowning on a youth retreat. You know, it took a bunch of our youth kids down to the beach and went out and promptly started drowning. Um, and a faithful, responsible youth pastor goes out and drowns, you know. And just the relief that he had when he was rescued. I mean, it's just indescribable. And so there's a couple of types of people. So people that have experienced that and really understand that and receive that. But you know, there's also a group of people that, man, you've asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior, but, but the guilt and, and all, you just, you keep holding on to that. And, and one of the things, man, I, I hope that you take away from our message today is that in Jesus Christ, your new creation and Satan will remind you of your past and you may have guilty conscience of the things that you've done in the past and you may view yourself as damaged goods or whatever the case may be. But if you're in Christ, you're forgiven. You're cleansed, you're redeemed and that's how God looks at you. He looks at you as holy and pure, and righteous, and none of those things you are in and of yourselves, but why does he see you that way? Because if you're hidden in Christ, he looks at you, he sees you through Jesus. It's like taking a picture, you know, taking a, a, a piece of broken glass, you know, you take a piece of green glass, and you look at the world through it, and everything looks green, or brown glass, and everything looks brown, God the Father looks at you through Jesus Christ. He sees you holy. He sees you as pure. He sees you as righteous. If, in fact, you've invited Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And it's this beautiful picture. And this gal gets it. She gets it. And she worships the Lord. And Jesus here, he's at Simon's house. Simon's this religious leader. And he's a guy that should get it. But he doesn't get it. And in walks this woman into his house, this notorious sinner. And you can imagine everybody there at, at the, the, the dinner party. Here comes this gal. It's kind of like, you know, she comes walking in. And you go, well, how does she come walking in? How does this happen? Well, you've got to understand it. The dinner parties of this day, it was, it was sort of, yes, it was held at the guy's residence. But typically, they were held, you know, out in the courtyard. And the, what the practice was is they would set the table and you would have the invited guests and they would throw the gates open and everybody would then come in to sit at the table, but then they allowed anybody at all just to come in for entertainment. They could gather around the outside and sort of watch all of the goings on, all of the proceedings. The, the whole town could come in and however many could fit, they could watch and frequently they would. And the whole idea was this host was, hey, check me out, I'm awesome, you know, I'm, look at the spread that I get to put out, look at all the honored guests that I get to have and, uh, and you don't get to be a part of it, but you can watch and just see how, how awesome I am kind of deal. And then they would, at the table, they would sort of recline at the table and so you would just sort of lie on your side, prop yourself up on your arm and your feet would, would go out to the, to the back away from the table. And so that's the picture here when this gal comes in. She's one of the people that's welcome just to come in. And, of course, she hears Jesus is going to be there. And, and, and so she, she's there. But just imagine, even though it was sort of accepted that people could come in, imagine the courage that this gal had to muster up to be able to go to such an environment, knowing that she is, is you know, her presence is going to be appalling to people, that people are going to be aghast, at her being there. And they certainly would. We see there, verse 39, Simon is just like, are you kidding me? You know, and and look at this guy. Look at Jesus. Like, you know, if he were really a prophet, he'd know who this chick was, man. He wouldn't be letting her touch him kind of deal. She's a sinner. And verse 40, Jesus answered and he said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so he said, teacher, say it. Jesus said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Now where Jesus is going with this is basically he is the creditor in this story and Simon and this gal are both debtors. Simon doesn't realize it yet, but that's kind of the point. And uh, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he this creditor, freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and he said, well, I I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you've rightly judged. And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. He said, you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, Jesus says, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much but to whom little is forgiven the same loves little and then he said to her your sins are forgiven and those who sat at the table with him they began to say to themselves who is this who even forgives sins and then he said to the woman your faith has saved you go in peace. Now, the custom of the day here was that when you invited a guest to your house, you greeted them with a kiss, and you'd wash their feet from the journey, and and you'd anoint them with olive oil, you know, freshen them up kind of deal, and it it was just, it's a society that prided itself on such hospitality. I mean, to this day, you can go to the Middle East, and you can be somebody's bitter neighbor, but if they invite you into their home, they will treat you as an honored guest, and, and so, apparently, Simon didn't offer any of these common courtesies to Jesus. And not only does that make him a lousy host by all standards, and especially by this standard, and it certainly does, but what it does is it also kind of reveals the motive of Simon's heart. And we get the glimpse of Simon's heart there in verse 39, because <coughs> he's looking at Jesus and he goes, well, this guy can't be a, a, a prophet. Because he, if, he, if he were a prophet, he'd know who, who this gal was, that, 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 that she's this horrible prostitute, you know. And so the idea here is that Simon, rather than inviting Jesus really as an honored guest, he invited Jesus for the purpose of eyeballing him. You know, he, he, he wanted to size him up. He wanted to scrutinize Jesus and, and kind of figure out, <coughs> are you the real deal or are you just a big old fake and a phony? Now, clearly, this is something that Simon does a lot, and it's something that Simon does with ease. He sizes people up. You know, sizes up the woman really fast. She's a sinner. Sizes up Jesus with equal speed. He's like, well, he's no prophet or he'd know, right? But see, Simon's got a big problem because as good as he thinks he sees, Simon is actually blind. He's, He's a blind man. See, because when Jesus says to him in verse 44, he says, do you see this woman? That's key. Do you see this woman? See, Simon thinks he does see that woman. He sized her up in verse 39. She's a sinner, active and ongoing, verb form. That's who she is. That's all she'll ever be. When he sees Jesus receiving this woman's worship, he sizes him up with equal speed. He's like, well, you, you ain't a prophet. And God help us, because we do that, don't we? Don't we? You and I, we have a tendency, we size people up. We size people up all the time. We're, you know, we're on Facebook or other social media, and we look at somebody, we size them up. Or or we got somebody we work with, and you know what we know about, we've sized them up. We we even do it at a church. You know, I got you sized up, I know who you are, right? I think about this. You, you remember the story of Jonah, right? Here, God calls Jonah, tells him to go to Nineveh, wicked city. And, and he's, he, he wants Jonah to go basically preach a message so that they will repent and turn to the Lord. And Jonah has a big problem, right? Takes has to go through a few things to actually get there because he goes in the opposite direction. And uh, and so, you know, God has a great fish swallow him, three days in the belly of the fish, barfs him up on the shore of, uh, of Nineveh there. He's got to go to Nineveh and, and all that. And Jonah, he's got the people of Nineveh sized up. He's already sized them up. And he's like, God, I know these people. You don't know these people, but whatever, I'll go and I'll preach the message. So he goes and he preaches a message and basically, you know, he addresses everybody and, and, and says, in effect, you guys are all a bunch of losers and, and uh you're toast. Like like you you've you're done. And and so God sent in his judgment and uh stinks to be you kind of thing. I mean, it really really allow, uh, a lousy judgmental message. You guys are sinners and you're going to hell. Have a good day. You know. <laughs> and uh and so then this radical thing happens. What happens? The people repent. And, and you would think, as a prophet of God, as a preacher who just gave an altar call to end all altar calls, like that would go on your resume, right? You, you go to your next job interview, you're like, yeah, I gave the altar call. At Nineveh, that's me. There you go. Where, when, when can I start? You know? I mean, he, you would think you'd be excited about that kind of a deal. He's not excited. He's angry. And basically, he goes up and he sets up shop. He sets up a camp on a hill overlooking the city. Why is he doing that? Because he sized them up and he's like, you know what, God? I know these people better than you do. And I've already sized them up. I don't know why you're wasting your time. I'm just going to sit up here and wait for your judgment. Smoke them. Take them out, God. I got a front row seat. I want to watch this go down. And it doesn't go down. They repent. And he's left like, he just doesn't understand what God's just done. he's angry about it, as a matter of fact. And God tries to give him the memo. He's like, man, you know, he sends this plant to give him the shade, and then he kills the plant. And, you know, and then Jonah's mad about the plant. And he's like, you're mad about this plant. How about you be mad about the hundreds of thousands of people? that are dying, about all these babies that, you know, don't know their left hand or the right hand, and, and you're not even, you're, you're more angry about the plant than you are about them. See, we size people up all the time. And this is what Simon's done. He's sized them up, sized this gal up. Now, I want you to take note of what Simon doesn't see because there's a few things and they're very key. There's a few things Simon doesn't see. First of all, if you're taking notes, you can write it down. Simon doesn't see the Lord's purpose. He doesn't see the Lord's purpose, what God's doing in here. Look, at, again, verse 44. What, what does Jesus say? He, he turns to the woman. He says, you see this gal? Because you think you see her, but you don't see her. Do you see her? And look what she did. I mean she she she's she's just weeping and worshiping and, and and all and then he says to her I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven. He goes on, he looks at the scout, he tells her, Your sins are forgiven. He he says, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace to this gal. What we see here is the Lord's purpose. And what is the Lord's purpose? Here it is. He wants to seek and to save the lost. That's his purpose. He wants to seek and to save that which is lost. He said that to to Zacchaeus, by the way, in Luke chapter 19, another dinner that he had at somebody else's house. And there's Zacchaeus, and he says, Says Zacchaeus, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Zacchaeus, that's his purpose. See the same thing in Mark chapter two, when Jesus was challenged by the religious leaders for what? For going to another sinner's house, and they're all challenging him and getting him down, you know, getting down on him about it. And it says, when Jesus heard it, their ridicule about what he's doing, <coughs> he said to them. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And see, where Simon's coming from, he can't see that. He can't see the Lord's purpose. All Simon can see is that this woman doesn't belong, and Jesus hasn't gotten the memo. That's all Simon can see. He doesn't see the Lord's purpose in it. Now, quick point of application before we move on, just this idea of, of, you know, understanding the Lord's purpose. We have to understand the Lord's purpose. One of our, our values here as a church is missional living, and we articulate that value this way. We say, we live out a genuine faith, and we intentionally share that faith with others. Why? Well, because the Bible tells us to. We have to understand the purposes of God. Jesus said this, he said, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, Jesus said, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus went on to say this in the same gospel, Matthew 28, verse 19. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the operative word there is go. God's called us to go. I like what Josh Harris said. He said, be like Jesus, spend enough time with sinners to ruin your reputation with religious people. I love that quote. Now, here's the caveat that I will add to that, because sometimes Christians take the attitude of, hey, I'm going to hang out with sinners in the name of being a good witness, but in the process, they're a horrible witness. I, I had a friend that, that went to the same high school as I did. He was a, a year behind me. But the high school I went to, it was party central all the time, and the, especially the crowd we ran with. And so, you know, in our high school days, and our before Christ days, you know, we, you know beer drinking, partying was, was Tuesday. Like, that's what we did. And, um, and so this guy, he got saved, and then he was, gonna go, he was going back to his hometown, Torrance, where I grew up. He's going back, and he's going to hook up with some of the old partiers he used to hang out with. And, uh, and he thought, well, I'm going to be a good witness to them. And so he's wearing a T-shirt that said, Expect a Miracle. And he said, by the end of the night, I was the one that needed a miracle because I didn't, I, <laughs> I didn't shine the light of Christ. I just crawled right back into the sewer with these guys. See, I, I think we should be like Jesus and spend enough time with sinners that we ruin our, repu, re, our reputation with religious people. That's great. Just so long as being like Jesus includes behaving like Jesus. You know, that's the idea. And so Simon here, you know, he, he's, he's blind to several things. First, first thing there, he's blind to the Lord's purposes, that, that God has come to seek and to save the lost. God's purpose is that none should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. That's God's purpose. He wants to see people saved. And so, so Simon's blind to that, but you know what? Simon's also blind to this woman's progress, Secondly. He's blind to the Lord's purposes, but he's blind to this woman's progress. Take note. What does she do? She comes with tears in her eyes. She offers to Jesus sacrificial worship. She she comes to Jesus in public adoration and praise. What is all of that? You put it together, these are signs of a changed heart. This woman has made progress in the sense that she has come to Jesus, and she has responded no doubt, to the message that that has been preached to her. And so the Bible tells us very clearly, Matthew's gospel, everyone who acknowledges, Jesus says, me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. The Apostle John said this, he said, if we confess our sins, that he, Jesus, is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So so Simon's blind to this woman's progress because she's done that. And, And now she's acknowledging Jesus publicly in this way, but all Simon can look at is her past. He can't look at her present progress. The most damning thing for Simon here is this third thing. Not only is his problem that uh, he can't see the Lord's purposes and his problem that he can't see this woman's progress, but thirdly, his biggest problem is that he can't see his own problem. Simon can't see his own sin. He doesn't see a need for Jesus. See, it's easy for him to say that woman's a sinner, but it's impossible for Simon to say, I'm a sinner. I need grace. I need mercy. I need forgiveness. See, in the point of Jesus' parable is that what Simon can't see that salvation is not about the amount of sin in your life, it's about the awareness of sin in your heart. It's not about the amount of sin in your life, it's about the awareness of sin in your heart, and it's about the availability of God's forgiveness and God's cleansing. You see, when you take the harmony of the Gospels together, what you discover is that immediately before this event, Jesus had preached to the multitudes and he had proclaimed this. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And here now, this woman comes and she seems to be responding to that invitation, to that message. She's received Jesus' promise, She's received salvation, she's received forgiveness, she's received cleansing, and that now informs the actions that she takes in response that we read here where she worships the Lord in this way. And Jesus says to her, Hey, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, you can go in peace. Notice with me, please those three things that Jesus says. Number one, her sins, which Jesus acknowledges. Yeah, you got a boatload of sins. Many. Her sins are many. They're forgiven. Listen, God can forgive you today as well. I want you to hear that. I want you to know that. I want you to hear it loud and clear. This woman, verb form. She's a sinner. Active, ongoing, Lifestyle, habitual, horrible reputation, train wreck life. Can you imagine the regrets that she carried around with her? And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. You've placed your faith in me. Clearly, you've placed your faith in me. You're forgiven. God can forgive you today. All your sins, past, present, future, cleansed, forgiven. Notice also her forgiveness is the result of her faith. It's not, it's not. her actions. It's not like Jesus says, "Oh great, yeah, you 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 came and you you made this big public spectacle and you you know you cried all over me and, and the tears. Why, nice touch using your hair by the way. That's that you get bonus points for that. Okay, I'll forgive you because because you know you worked really hard like that. No no no, it's her faith. That all is just a manifestation. All these actions, it's just an outworking of what Jesus has already done in this woman's heart. And the result was Jesus say, Hey, you're free now. You can go in peace. You can go in peace. Let me ask you a question today. Do you have peace? Do you have peace with God? I want you to hear if you've asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior you can go in peace because all of your sins are forgiven. You're cleansed. God looks at you holy and pure and righteous. I know you're not that in and of yourself, neither am I, but you can have peace with God. It's an amazing thing. I think about an interview somebody did several years ago um, in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Who's the actor in that? Who? Harrison Ford, that's the dude. Um, Somebody's interviewing this guy and he says, you know, you always want what you ain't got. And they're like, Harrison Ford, actor, millionaire, movie star, what ain't you got? His answer, peace. I don't have any peace. Jesus says to this gal, you can go in peace. Why? Because she placed her faith and her hope in him. You can have peace today. But Jesus says, whereas this woman's actions revealed her love for him, what he he says here is that Simon's inaction reveals that Simon was was lacking in love. Why? Look, Simon has no awe of God's forgiveness. No awe whatsoever. Why? Because he didn't think he needed it. That's a dangerous place to be. I mean, look how apathetic he is. Jesus tells him this story. He's like, which one do you think loved more? And he's like, I don't know. I suppose the guy that was forgiven more, right? <clears throat> Can't even work up, you know, any sort of heart in his response. Total apathy on this guy's part. He's too busy rating other people's sin instead of hating his own sin. I want you to note, and Simon's blind to it, Blind to a lot of stuff. He can't see the Lord. He can't see himself. Certainly can't see this woman the way the Lord sees him. I want you to notice that the only difference between this woman's sin and Simon's sin is that hers were known and his weren't. Only difference. See, she had sins of the flesh. His were sins of the spirit. Hers were sins of actions. His were sins of attitude. Hers were sins of commission, his were sins of omission, what he should have been doing and he didn't do. And you know, the sub-point of Jesus' parable here, notice he says, hey, there is a creditor who had two debtors. So Jesus' sub-point of this point is that, look, neither of them could possibly repay. Yeah, she owed more. She, she she had a lot more sins maybe than you had, Simon, but neither of them could repay. And Simon didn't realize that. He didn't know. See, the Bible says that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And ultimately, this speaks of a spiritual death, but the truth is, is that sin brings death to every part of our lives. And here's how you know this is true. You know that sin brings death to every part of our lives because the effects of sin are all around us. It's evident in the guilt and the shame and the burdens that we carry, our lack of peace. This is why drug addiction and alcohol addiction are so prevalent in our society because people want to numb themselves to escape the guilt and the shame and their conscience that that they don't want to focus on. And so people run to escape. The effects of sin are are evident in in death itself. Not just physical death, but sin brings death to our relationships. Brings death to our reputation. Brings death to peace in our homes. Brings death to our marriages, to our families. I wonder if you're experiencing any, any of that today. I wonder if you're with me, you know what I'm talking about when I talk about the effects of sin. And I talk about death and I talk about guilt and I talk about shame. See, ultimately it does leave us hopeless. And what we need to see here is the picture of what happens when a person is set free, when they understand that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which is lost and it's available to you today. Today, right this moment, and you have to answer the question, where am I at, and where do I fit in this picture? Because Jesus says that God here is this creditor to whom we all owe a debt we've all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death but the Bible promises the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, the Bible says this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says that there is one God and one mediator between God and men and the man Jesus, the man Uh, Christ Jesus is that mediator who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. That word mediator, it means one who intervenes between two to make or restore peace and friendship. Do you have peace? Because today you can go in peace. Now here's what the Bible says in conclusion. The Bible says, what then should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen, and it was even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Here's what that means, church. That means right now, this very moment, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the throne of God and he's praying for you by name. He's praying for me by name right this moment. And maybe you've wandered. Maybe you're in a place to where you don't think that you can be forgiven. You know, I can't even forgive myself. How can I expect God to forgive me? His name is Jesus, that's how. And he's a God of love. And he offers to you life today.